All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 40. Um, we're going to be continuing our, our detour ser- uh, sermon series. And, and uh, as you flip there, as a matter of fact, the Bible will be up on the screen here in just a little bit. As you flip there, I do want to encourage you with this, that uh, there are a number of opportunities for you to get involved in, connected with, um, and to grow over the next, uh, really over the next semester, over really through, G- through December. And we want to encourage you with that. I'm going to go ahead. Hey, Kate, can we turn the lights on just up here? Sorry. Um, I just want to do that. I want to I encourage you as well with this. I know a lot of times when we come into like a life group season and things like that, weeknights may not work for you, and I get it. I know what it's like to be busy. I know what it's like to have chaos with, with kids. Like to have to deal with all of those things. So that's why starting next week, starting again, we said at 9.15, I'll probably be here by 9. Uh, we're going to be going through the Believe uh, series. There was, we had a group of about six go through it uh, just over a year ago, really the first portion of it. And uh, what we're asking you to do is this. Now, we don't want to have any excuses as to, hey, I can't come because I don't have $10. All right. If you can't afford it, just let us know. We've got a book and a workbook for 10 bucks. If you were to try and buy the book, you're probably going to pay 15 to 20. Um, and so what we're just asking is if you offset the cost. Now, let me clarify. If you can't afford it, what? We'll cover you. All right? We got it. All right? But we're asking you to just cover that. You'll take the book home. You'll take the workbook home. We'll be doing it 9, uh, 9 a.m., 9.15 a.m., sorry, uh, on Sunday mornings till about 10 um, and then that'll get everybody into your positions if you're serving somewhere, things like that. So you won't miss out. Uh, but we want to encourage you to grow. We want to encourage you to be challenged by God's word. I believe that one of the greatest things the church can ever do is to be a church that is passionately growing individually. So that when we come here on Sunday mornings, that's just really a carryover of what God's doing in your life day in and day out. Maybe a shot in the arm, a little bit of adrenaline and, and excitement and encouragement from other people. But I say that just to encourage you to be a part of a life group. We, I believe, we believe that everybody needs to have some sort of discipleship um, connection and relationship with others within the church. So Genesis chapter 40, we're continuing our detour series. Um, and last week, or really what we've con- concluded, what I've said is we don't like detours, do we? Like right now, if you were to try and get on I-70 from here, the normal route used to be go down to 39th Street, turn right, go to Blue Ridge, turn left, and you can merge onto I-70 westbound or eastbound. Well, good luck with that, right? Now, I mean, granted, yes, we're, we're close. We could just go to Nolan Road, right? Or I can go down to, well, I could go down to Blue Ridge off 40 Highway and, and connect that way. Things are great, but nobody likes detours, do we? We don't like being detoured around no matter what it is. Um, we don't like delays in anything. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I know about delays. Um, a couple of years ago, obviously, we had our mission trip issue um, trying to get out to Montana, where we flew from here to Las Vegas, had a one-night stay through from Vegas to Los Angeles, only to fly all the way back to Kansas City to have them go, we could get you to Bozeman tonight. And I went, What? Okay, we'll go. But it was like a, a massive detour to the tune of 38 hours and a couple hundred dollars in hotels and stuff like that to get it wrong. Nobody likes detours, and we don't like that. And what we've seen over the life of Joseph, these couple chapters, is that Joseph's life is full of detour right now. Like 
Some of the teenagers here are going to be getting ready to go off to college or military or maybe a trade school or maybe it's just into the workforce, and they can understand right now, maybe not knowing what's going on in life. What, what am I going to do? And if we remember, Joseph was 17 years old the first time he hits a major detour. At the age of 17, Joseph's brothers sold him to Ishmaelite traders, basically into slavery, who then sold him to Potiphar, right? So we've seen this as 17 years old, Joseph was sold off, left for really by himself. But yet all through the story of Joseph, we never hear Joseph complain. And some people could say, well, yeah, that was just the writer's point. I don't know if it's so much the writer's point as much as it shows how much Joseph was committed to following God no matter the cost. Joseph, if you remember, had a dream. He actually had two dreams. And what I believe is that Joseph, the reason Joseph had a strong relationship or a good relationship with the Lord is because he remembered the dreams that God had given him. And he knew at some point that God would most likely fulfill those, that God would fulfill those. And so as we jump in today, I want us to think about this because I believe that God shows us kindness and favor consistently in our detours. As a matter of fact, as we wrapped up last week, we looked at how God's kindness and, 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 and grace was upon Joseph. At the end of chapter 39, we saw that, that God granted him favor. We saw that it said that the Lord gave him success in anything and everything he did. And so I believe that God does show us his kindness and his favor in our detours. And I believe that success is the result of only what God can do in your life in the midst of your detours. See, the struggle oftentimes is this, though. When a detour hits, do I trust God or do I kind of take things into my own hands? Now, I know my personality. I like to talk big and I like to think, okay, I would trust God in every circumstance and situation. But I told you a couple weeks ago where I showed very quickly how I'm just like anybody else. I'm going to complain. And I'm going to be like, God, if that's the way it is, I don't want to deal with it. Right? Anybody else been in that situation? God, you sent me on a detour. So fine. If that's the way it is, I'm done. You know what I'm talking about, right? God, if that's the way you're going to treat me in life, God, if that's what I'm going to reap or if that's the, the direction you're going to take me, I quit, it's over, it's done, I'm out. And what I believe is that we can learn very simply that we have to trust God in every circumstance. That's why today's sermon series or sermon title is this, God, where are you? Are you there? Because that's, that's the reality. Most of us, when we hit a detour, we would ask that question. When something bad happens, when God leads you in a direction, in a different direction, when something bad happens as a result of somebody else's choices and we reap the, the, the consequences to a certain extent, like if you think about Joseph, when his brothers made that decision, it was a wicked and evil decision, right? We're going to sell our brother off. He's the one that's going to get the birthright. He's the one that's going to get everything that we're supposed to have. And so we're going to sell him off and tell our dad, that he died. You'd say, man, that's pretty wicked, evil intent. And yet Joseph trusts the Lord all throughout, and we see what God does as a result of Joseph following and trusting God. Now, chapter 40 continues what seems like a downward spiral in the life of Joseph. 
right? We've already said that there were a lot of issues that came up, right, in Joseph's life. It seems like every time Joseph takes two steps forward, he goes three, sometimes four steps back. You've probably been in life in like that, right? You take one step forward, you might take two steps back. You take two steps forward, you feel like you got three steps back. And that's what I think that we, as we look at this series, as we look at the life of Joseph in these 13 chapters of, 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 this, of, of, of Genesis, we begin to see that, listen, life isn't always what we think it's going to be or the way we think it's going to be. But I also know this, that through the life of Joseph, through the truth of this text, we can understand that no matter what we go through, no matter the detours we face, we can trust God no matter what. See, God is working out something deep or greater to shape and to grow Joseph. And every detour you and I face, God is working out something deeper and something greater in order to shape us and prepare us for what he has in the future. So, Here's the big idea based upon this, and then we're going to jump in and read this. Number one, or big idea is this. When you feel like God is absent, he is actively working all things out. When you feel like God is absent, he is actively working all things out. Stand with me real quick as we read Genesis chapter 40. We're going to read just the first um, eight verses. We're going to actually read or, or go through the whole chapter, but we're going to read the first eight verses here off the start. No, notice what's going on. Keep in mind, Joseph has had success. Um, God has given him success. Now it says this, sometime later. Everybody say sometime. Sometime. God's timing is not our timing. So sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master the king of Egypt. So Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. And after they had been custody for some time, everybody say some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream. The same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. And when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. You can have a seat. And as you do, I want to keep this idea on the forefront and in each one of our minds that when you feel like God is absent, he is actively working all things out. Now, the reason why I say that is because it's important for us to understand what's going on in the context of the story, right? Joseph has, has been sold into slavery, then he's sold into Potiphar's house. He had risen into a leadership position where Potiphar literally worried about nothing. And as a matter of fact, you have to understand the timing of what's going on. Joseph has been in Potiphar's house for a little while before this whole thing arises, Okay? As a matter of fact, what we know is in Genesis chapter 37 that Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. But as we go on and look at some things 
throughout this text, all the way through Genesis chapter 41, we begin to find out that Joseph most likely had been serving in Potiphar's house for quite a few years. And here's the reason why. In Genesis chapter 41, after Joseph has interpreted the dreams, and he is placed into a leadership position in Pharaoh's house, it says that at that time, Joseph was 28 years old. So he's sold into slavery at 17. He was 28 when he was put in position in in Pharaoh's house. We see in Genesis chapter 41 that he had been in prison at least two years from the time that the baker and the, the, the uh, cupbearer had been in there. So we can subtract that and say Joseph was 26. So Joseph most likely had been in Potiphar's house roughly eight years. Let's just take a rough guess. Eight to, 18 to, to 26, depending on how things went. And he had risen up and he had hit a certain point but I, and, and had gotten to the, the second highest position under Potiphar. But in order for us to understand what's going on, I think it's important for us to remember some things. And I want to give us three things that I believe that we can learn in this text that we can apply to our life as we're going through detours. Number one is this, that God does not operate in our time, in our timing. You and I, if you've been alive long enough, realize that God doesn't operate on my time schedule. Like I would like to think he does. I would like to think that he would say, hey, Brian, what do you think about this? But the reality is he's never asked me, hey, Brian, when should I do this in your life? Because most likely, at least in my life, I probably would have been like, never? Like, when do you want me to take you on this detour? How about no? That would be my first thought, right? If God asked for my permission in the timing of everything that that is going on in my life, I most likely would have sat back and said, you know, I'm just a little busy right now, so can we postpone that? And every time, if you're like me, right, every time would have been a postponement. Well, God, I got this going on, so let's just postpone that detour again. Well, God, hold on, I got, and here's the reality. Every detour is an opportunity for me to trust God in the midst of what he's taking me through so that he prepares me for whatever it is he has in the future. Every detour matters in my life. But as we go through it, when I feel like God is absent, I have to remind myself that he's actively working all things out. Now, I said that, that God doesn't operate on our timing, and I wanted to draw your attention to those things because it's important to understand that there's this time frame where Joseph had been serving with Potiphar then he's thrown into prison. He's risen up again. He's, he's been granted favor in the eyes of the prison warden. He's been successful in whatever he did. So the prison warden put him in charge of things. Then it says, sometime later. Here's what we see in Joseph's life. A consistency to always be obedient to God no matter where he was at. I believe that the reason Joseph had rose up into certain positions of influence was because God had granted him the favor and God had given him success in all of those things. So what we can look back and see is this, that Joseph now, after some time, because again, God's operating on his time, not Joseph's time schedule. 
God is working in the way that he works, not in the way that Joseph wants to work. And so Joseph, if you can keep this in mind, has been thrown into prison, the king's prison. He's in the deepest, darkest dungeon. If you kind of put that into perspective, if you came against the king, you were most likely forgotten or thrown away. So Joseph's in the prison, the cupbearer, the baker, they're thrown into prison, and the warden puts... Joseph in charge of or over them to care for him, to oversee them. Now, we don't know what that means. We don't know what that looks like. Did they have work assignments or were they just thrown in a hole, chained to the the wall like you can think about old school movies and forgotten? But what we do know is that they were placed into this prison and it operates or is in, get this, Potiphar's house. Because if you look at verse 4, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and attended them. Keep in mind what was going on. Keep in mind who the captain of the guard was. Potiphar. And Potiphar places Joseph in charge of the chief cupbearer. Now, it's important as we keep this in mind that God's timing is always perfect. That we have to trust his detours that he puts us on in order to be able to move forward in the direction God has for us. So here's what I want to do real quick. When we talk about God does not operate in our timing, I want to look at four quick things on timing for us to understand from Scripture. Number one is this, God's timing is always best. So this is kind of just under point number one. God doesn't operate on our timing, but it's important that we remember this, that God's timing is always best. It says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Why? Because God's timing is best. Isaiah chapter 55 says that. So as we look at timing, as we look at the scenario that you or I may be in, we have to understand that God's timing is best. And sometimes that question is going to be this, God, I don't get why you're postponing everything. Because God says his timing is best. And it's important to keep that in mind. Number two is this, that God always directs us. Proverbs verses, uh, chapter 16, verse 9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. In other words, God is always going to be the one who's going to establish the steps, step by step by step. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, so that you can take step by step by step. He always directs us. Number three is this, and we, as we think about timing, that we should live each day as it's our last. Proverbs 27, verse 1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Now, think about this if you're in Joseph's perspective. I just boasted about having a dream about ruling over my brothers. The next day, he goes out to check on his brothers, and he's sold into slavery. Wow. You remember what Joseph did too? To a certain extent, it was a boast about my dream. Now, all of us would sit there and go, well, yeah, but any family member, I want them to share their dreams and their heart and their passion with me, right? But listen, Joseph boasts about something and the next day, everything changes. Now, the big picture is we can look back and go, man, Joseph would have never experienced what he did if he hadn't been faithful to what God had called him to do. But always remember this, that God directs our steps. Why? Because we don't know what tomorrow may bring. And here's the fourth thing under God's timing that I want us to remember, that God gives us hope in a future. Now, 
A lot of people will take this out of context to use it in every way, shape, or form. But Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, is huge for us to understand because God has told the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, that you're going to be taken off into captivity, that everybody's going to be taken off into captivity. And so there's this preparation that here's my plan. Here's the direction. He doesn't tell them what's going to happen, but what he does tell them is this, for I know the plans I have for you. Right? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So let me ask this question. When you go through the detours, do you understand that God's timing is best? Do you understand what it means to follow God day in and day out because God's timing is best, because he's going to direct me in each and every step, because he's going to challenge me and encourage me to live each day like it's my last, because I don't know what tomorrow brings, and that he's going to give you a hope and a future? Or do you try and take things into your own hands? So remember, when you feel like God is absent, always remember this, that he's actively working all things out. Number two is this. We have to show compassion for others while we're in our detour. Here's what I find amazing about this story with Joseph. You keep in mind what's gone on. It says sometime later, the cupbearer and the king uh, and the baker of the king of Egypt had offended their master. Now, it doesn't tell us what they did. Who knows? Was there an attempted coup? Did they? Did the cupbreaker, or the, sorry, the cupbearer and the and the baker come together to try and kill Pharaoh? We don't know. But whatever it does, whatever it did, whatever they did, it made Pharaoh angry to the point where he throws him in prison. Now, at this point, I'm thinking, well, that means he probably hired another cupbearer and most likely another baker. And you only trust certain people. Like, this is like one of those stories that you could even look at today. Matter of fact, when, when I was in the Navy, I met a guy who used to cook for the president. He's, he's a military cook, and an, an MS in the Navy, mess specialist, what we call them. Um, I don't know if they still call him that, but he cooked for the president. And I was like, oh, that's probably pretty awesome. He's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. But the Secret Service have guys who test the food, right? Like... <laughs> They, they have people who test the food before the president eats it. Because even though you got a security clearance and you may have been cooking for years, we still don't trust you. And so this baker would most likely have done those things and they had people set up. So we don't know what it is that led the baker and the cupbearer ba- uh, to be thrown into prison. But what it does say is that Pharaoh was angry with them, with his two officials, and he put them in prison. And I want us to understand what's going on there. Joseph never complained about, and he didn't lose faith in what, God's, uh, what God was doing. He, he remembered the promises of what God had given to him in the dreams. He felt like and trusted the fact that God would someday fulfill those dreams. But I want to ask you this question. Do you think that God is going to do something great in your life, or do you doubt him? See, here's the truth of what we see going on here. We may not understand everything, but we can begin to trust God. There is providence at work here that God is going to show in the midst of the story. God is going to show how he has everything under control, how he's going to bring everything to fruition, how he's going to see that Joseph's dream that God laid on his heart is going to be fulfilled, but it involves, first of all, these two individuals. 
Now, at the beginning of the sermon series, if you remember, I, I pointed out that there were some similarities between Joseph and Jesus. Jesus was crucified between two prisoners. Joseph now is acting or, or caring for, attending to these two prisoners. One prisoner with Jesus, Jesus acknowledges who Jesus is and asks him to remember him, and the other one curses him. One of the things you're going to see here is that after three days, one of these individuals is spared by Pharaoh the king and the other is put to death. And in the midst of this, Joseph attends to them. Now, I know how most of this plays out and I know how most of us feel. Pharaoh was angry with these individuals, and it's important to know that when it says that they offended him, it's the same word as sin. When these two individuals, the cupbearer and the baker, offended Pharaoh, they sinned against him. It carries the same light of what happens in our lives, that when we sin against God, we've offended Him. And here's the reality all throughout Scripture, that God deals with sin justly and severely when there's no confession, when there's no repentance, that we will suffer the wrath of, the, of God based upon our sins. But we can also understand that we can experience the mercy of God because of the grace of Jesus on the cross as a result of our sin, we can confess it to him. We can repent and we can turn. So there's this picture that's being played out, but Joseph attended to each one of these individuals while he's in there. Now, my question is this, because I know how most of the times our detours work. When we're in a detour, we're focused on ourselves. When we're in a detour, we focus on our problems. When we're in a detour, we focus on our trials. When we're in a detour, we don't really care about everybody else and everything else that's going on. Why? Because we've got priorities, we've got plans, and we've got a purpose, and we want God to fulfill it. And what I believe that Joseph teaches us here is that we have to show compassion for others even when we're in our own detours. In other words, I take my eyes off myself I keep my eyes on God because I believe that God brings people into our lives at certain times in order for us to be a blessing in that. And here's what's crazy, the story of Joseph. Joseph interprets this dream, right? The dreams for each one of these individuals. Joseph is being in a blessing and an encouragement. Joseph reveals the truth about what God is trying to teach each one of these, what God has revealed to each one of these men, and yet Joseph is stuck in his own detour. I mean, let's be realistic. Joseph could have easily sat back and said, you know what, I don't have time for this. If you only knew how bad my life was, every two steps I took forward, I got sent back three. So guess what? You can deal with it on your own. That's oftentimes how we go through detours, even in our own lives. I took two steps forward. I've, I've been punched back three. So you figure out your ways, and I'll figure out my ways, and we'll just go our own way. And yet it says that Joseph attended to them, and I think that shows the great compassion that we have. When we're overwhelmed, I believe that we forget about those around us. 
When what should happen is when we're on our detour, we keep our eyes open to what God is doing, keeping our eyes available and our ears open to what God may be doing in somebody else's heart so that, listen, in the midst of your detour, God is still able to use you to accomplish what he wants to do in the first place. We can't become compassionless people. We can't become people who say, I'm going through my own problems, so you got to figure out your stuff. We have to be willing to listen. We have to be willing to comfort. We have to be willing to encourage. But I also believe, and this is the last thing, that we have to be willing to speak the truth. Number three is this, that I believe that God gives us wisdom to understand his work. And that's exactly what we see in the rest of the chapter. As you begin to watch what happens, it literally comes up where where Joseph, we just read through verse 8, then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God, tell your dreams to me. Now here's what I believe. God gave Joseph wisdom to interpret the dreams of what was going on in each one of these individuals' lives. If If Joseph didn't have the compassion and the care We have a whole different scenario, but it says that Joseph attended to them and also that Joseph went out of his way because it says that he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him, why are your faces so sad today? Like, listen, most of us, hey, how you doing? Good. Great. Glad they answered that. How you doing? Terrible. Great. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right? We just walk past the people or we try and ask him, how are you doing? Or what, how are things going? And it's like, great, things are good. Great, things are bad. Don't bother me with what's not going good. And Joseph comes to the point where he interprets their dream. Now, we could spend a lot of time just on these dreams and I don't want to, to, to belabor or to belittle everything that goes on, but I want you to know this, that dreams were the primary vehicle of divine revelation all throughout the Old Testament. God used dreams. As a matter of fact, God used a dream to send Peter to Paul. God sent, used a dream to get Paul into areas that he wanted him to be. And so Joseph acknowledges this, but he departs from the common viewpoint. And the common viewpoint for them back then was that professional magicians would have to be the people who interpreted the dreams. Instead, Joseph tells them, hey, listen, God is the only one who can interpret dreams. Why don't you tell me your dream? What I believe Joseph is saying is this, God, I'm asking you for wisdom so that I can point these men in the right direction, that I can prepare them for what you have in store for them in the future. Now, here's the hard part about this. When that takes place, Joseph gives two reports. One's good and one's bad. The good report, hey, you've got three days and you're going to be restored to be the cupbearer for Pharaoh. Now, I can only imagine the baker, oh man, that's awesome, that's a great report. What about me, what about me, what about me? You, on the other hand, dude, I, um, yeah, in three days, you're gonna be dead. He's gonna cut your head off, he's gonna hang you in a tree. Like, I don't know about you, but if I'm Joseph, I might be like, yeah, I don't know, I don't have any clarity on that dream, dude. Like, your last three days are gonna be a heck of a lot better if I don't tell you something. Like, 
Who wants to be the guy like, dude, three days, you're going to be dead. You're in the worst pit, the worst prison of all, and I'm also going to tell you that in three days, you're going to be dead. But I want us to look at it from this standpoint. I believe the gospel is good news. And I believe that God has called us in order to encourage people to let them know the point of life and death. The point of grace and mercy versus the result of God's wrath. The reality that God wants to save, to seek and save that which was lost. And all of that comes as a result of having Jesus and and believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. So it's important for us to understand that God gives the revelation to Joseph to provide the interpretation to each one of these individuals. One is shown mercy, the other receives punishment. One shown grace, the other destruction. And so I think it's important for us as we play this out, as we look deeply into what was going on, that we see that God placed Joseph in the lives of those individuals to be an example and to point them to the hope that comes in Christ and Christ alone, to God, through God. But here's the reality also as we wrap up with this. At the end, after the interpretation, I'm going to jump to verse 20. It says, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials, and he lifted up the heads of the chief baker, or the chief cupbearer, and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. So he brought them out in front of all of the leadership in Egypt. And it says, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph has said to them in his interpretation. But, verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Now, it's important to keep this in mind. Because most of us would look and go, see, Joseph, if he trusted God's timing, he told the cupbearer and the chief baker, remember me when you go to Pharaoh. And it says that the chief cupbearer forgot. Why? Because God's timing hadn't played everything out yet. Because God hadn't accomplished all that he wanted to accomplish, not just in Joseph's life, but in the lives of those around him who Joseph would one day influence that God had a greater story to write. And so it's important for us to remember that when we're on our detour, when we feel like God is absent, he's actively working all things out. Like this whole point in verse 23 is this, that God hadn't forgot Joseph. The cupbearer may have, but God didn't. That God is working in the midst of your detour, that God is working in the midst of the struggles you face, that God is at work in the trials you walk through, that even when other people don't see you, that that God sees you, that even when you're going through the detour, that you and I as Christians, as believers, should be looking for those who need to be attended to, whose face are downcast, who don't have hope and don't have life and don't know who Jesus is. That is how we can understand and learn from the story of Joseph. That when God is at work, that God is working and when we feel like God is absent, he's working all things out. I want to I close with these 
these two verses. First Peter chapter 5 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. When you go through a detour, you have to humble yourself under the authority of God, under His hand. Why? Because He's working things out. So I walk in humility, trusting him, casting all my worries upon him. Why? Because he cares for me. But then I have to remember this, that there is a lot more to trials than just walking through a detour, than just walking through the storm. There are shaping that takes place. There's direction that takes place. There's future planning and development that's being built. And so I can rejoice in God, in God working in my detours, because that's the only hope I have. And here's the reason why. We always love, I've heard people quote this when somebody's died or when bad things happen, but Romans chapter 8 is one of those verses that we always have to remember. That Joseph, even though we, he wasn't around at this point in time, would have known at this point. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things, everybody say all things. We talked about some time, we talked about some time, but it's the idea that we know that in all things, that God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And then he goes on in verse 29 and he says this, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Listen, every detour you go through is the reality for you and I to be conformed in the image of Christ, to be conformed into what God wants us to be, to develop you, to make you, to, to, to rebuild you, to make you a new creation so that you and I best represent Jesus to all of those around us. So here's my challenge for this week. That when you feel like God is absent, that you and I begin to look for God in the details of the detour. God, why or where do you want to work in me while I'm in this detour? Who do you want me to connect with? Who do I need to look to give compassion to? Who can I attend to in the midst of the detour? Because God, I know you got something bigger in store and I can't see it right now. And that's exactly where Joseph's at. He's stuck in prison, been in prison, gonna stay in prison because the cupbearer forgot about him. And Joseph could have easily said, God, I just did this. I just revealed the truth to each one of these individuals, and I'm still not restored. Why? And what we see in Joseph's life is just to say, all right, whatever it is, wherever you lead, I'll follow you. Whether it's the pinnacle of leadership or the darkest of dungeons, I will be a consistent and obedient because I know that you are the one who's building all things for my good. Let's pray. Father, we, we think of the story of Joseph. We think of the life that he lives as we 
know the end based upon your word, that we can build our lives upon the promised hope that God, when we go through a detour, that you are there. What man intended for evil, God intends for good. God, that when we walk in the detours, may we be people who understand that your timing is not our timing. And may we watch for how you work. May we take step by step the journey that we walk through. And that, God, we can recognize, remember, and build our life on this fact. That when we feel like at times you may be absent, God, that you are working all things out. God, I know there are some who probably have questions and doubts, who wonder where you're at. God, I pray today that they may be comforted, that their eyes may be open that they can look and see where you're at work. God, may we have those eyes. May we have the compassion for those around us. And God, may we see that you have a hope and a future for us. And that rests on Christ and Christ alone who gives us life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.